give her your attention. We, uh, if you didn't, if you do not know, at Vintage, um, Randall mentioned it earlier, but we had a, um, a pretty big flood here, and so I was in India when this happened, and uh, and so when we, uh, Lindsay doesn't know the full story on my side, but basically I heard about it. Here, I'm going to move this microphone stand while we're here, and um, hey, Tate, next time you can move this, brother. Um, but we. Uh, you know, this thing happened, and, and I was pretty overwhelmed. You know, Randall called, and she said, there's big drama. And when Randall says that, that can be big or small. Um, I just didn't know which one it was. And, uh, but she began to tell me, and I was overwhelmed. And uh, so I stayed up. That, I had, jet, had something, the best prayer in the world is jet lag prayer. And if you got the email, you kind of heard me talk about that. But um, God just spoke in the moment um, as I was undone. He just took away my undoneness in my time of prayer and spoke pretty emphatically and powerfully into me. And basically said, Steve, they don't, number one, they don't need you there. They just need me. Uh, number two, um, I, just watch what happens. And I did as I, and I just, and God moved in the moment for me as just showing us being a family of people working together. And so, as we were in worship this morning, Lindsay felt like she had a word specifically related to this that I felt was impactful. And uh, so she may cry herself through it because uh, Lindsay never cries, right? Never. Uh, but share what you feel like God was speaking to us. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I have to start by saying that a lot of times I feel like the Lord speaks to me and I hesitate to share it because I know my own tendency to get... Uh, spiritually inflated. <clears throat> I don't know if anybody else feels that way. But I do. And so I, I don't I don't like to do this and I didn't have an agenda for sitting next to Randall at all this morning, but as I was worshiping I was telling God that I felt very parched and was just desperate for him and I could not wait another minute for him. And I asked him to just pour out his rain here today to saturate the dry ground and that every heart would leave here satisfied in him. And as I just sat there, kind of almost begging him, (laughs) the Lord spoke to me. I felt very confident that the Lord was speaking to me. I never want to speak out of turn, but I I felt like I would be disobedient not to say this to you all this morning, that... The situation with that stupid sprinkler head <laughs> was intended to discourage us as a body. But the Lord wanted us to know that it was a prophetic event for vintage, that just as that happened in the physical, that in the spiritual, His Holy Spirit is going to be poured out here and flood this place. And that it is going to be beyond our control and and more than we can control, but that it's going to go out from this place and bring us together as a community to serve the surrounding community. That's all. So next time, though, but we would rather have the Holy Spirit reign than the sprinkler head, right? Okay, good. (laughs) All right.
well, good. Well, hey, just this morning, just know, uh, and I just got back from India uh, literally yesterday morning, and I am swimming in my own head right now with jet lag. And so if I just say something really, really, like, off color, it's totally by accident, right? But I plan not to, but um, I do, it's like right now, yeah, I would, it's, it's, um, t- it's uh, 9.30, no, 10.30. I don't know what time it is over there, it's, but I should be asleep, basically. Um, but yeah, I had a great, great time uh, in India. God did a lot of neat things and, and spoke a lot of things. And uh, literally in some of my, my the, the Monday and Tuesday um, uh, times, just waking up at 2.30, just wide awake with jet lag and praying until 5, 5.30. And God just speaking in the moment. And it was amazing in those times just to listen to the Lord begin to kind of dismantle some things, maybe even that... I didn't know even dismantled and things that God was speaking in the moment as related to my own life and to the life of vintage and uh, even speaking, you know, uh, it's interesting um, just that, that, that word you shared because I had a, I was in prayer one morning and the Lord spoke very clearly about a coming revival uh, that he wanted to do and, 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 and hear, but something that he was doing and it was interesting because he said, look, it's going to look different than anything I've ever done before. And said so most revivals in churches always are inward focused, and it's all these these like uh, great signs and wonders, and it all becomes about those things. He said, I want to do something different, where what I do next time literally takes you outside of the four walls almost immediately to be Jesus to a broken community, and that's what he wants to do. And so I was, so even when you said that, that was kind of a reminder. I forgot I had written that down somewhere in one of my journals, but it's just this profound statement of the Lord in the moment, and so. Um, so I'm excited. Um, I'm excited that, that we had a broken sprinkler head. You know what I'm saying? It's like I'm, I'm excited to see the people of God, being the being people of God, coming together as family and working together, fulfilling what we've been talking about for the last several weeks here at Vintage before I left. And I'm excited to see God moving in power. And, you know, even in those moments of, uh, of prayer, my jet lag prayer in the mornings, God just speaking powerfully, uh, about who we are as a people and, and removing distractions of, what, of what's keeping us from him. And the question this morning is, what are your distractions? You know, it's like I was sitting there like, Lord, there's so many distractions. There's, there's people and there's things and there's vintage. It's a distraction to me to ultimately being with you and loving you and knowing you. And that is recognize very clearly the heart of God for, to remove the distractions and, and recognizing there's a, a an impo- listen, there's a powerful call from God on the people of God, specifically us here at Vintage, because that's who you represent, to remove these things and to be in relationship with him and do these things that he's called us to do, and, and you have to remove those things. And this sense very clearly what God is doing, and I'm excited because I have some things in the next several weeks that I believe God's been speaking into me about who Vintage is to become, and I'm excited about those things. But this morning, we are here. Because it's Palm Sunday, right? And a lot of churches around the, around the nation, around the world, they're having their kids come in, dressed in something, like little, these little things, I don't know, little outfits, and waving palm branches. Everyone's getting really excited, right? Because it's Palm Sunday. And it's Sunday that we celebrate the triumphant, the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem to kind of launch this Passion Week, you know? And it ends on a day that we call Easter. 
It's the, it's the day of pastels. Right? What is it about Easter Sunday? People wear clothes they never wear the rest of the year, right? But they wear these dresses and these clothes, and they come together, and they get really excited, and they sing these songs, and it's always really fun and exciting. We, and we love Easter, right? And we, we, we talk about Good Friday, but we really talk about the resurrection because, you know, life is a lot more enjoyable than death, right? And so, but we, we celebrate this whole week because it's the, whether in, in, in humanity, it is the most powerful and profound week the world has ever known, even for those who don't even know about it. Because there's lots of people who have never heard of Easter and have never heard the name Jesus, right? And so, but it's the most exciting thing for, for humanity, this Passion Week. And so when we come together on this Sunday morning and this this, this Palm Sunday, it's this celebration of this triumphant in, entry of Jesus, and we get really excited. Right? It's just like we like, hallelujah. We sing all these great things because we, we celebrate the moment of the triumphant entry because all of us know that it's the most important week of, of humanity's creation ever, right? Just this moment of Jesus coming and doing what only he could do. It's incredibly exciting. It's incredibly overwhelming. And it's great news and it's awesome. Except for the ones who first experienced it. You see, when you talk about the very first people, the ones who were actually you're writing about in Luke chapter 19, we're going to read in a second, when we read the story, what we find are a bunch of people who were very excited and are about to be let down in a very major way. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke. Chapter 19, I want, to, I want us to read the story and kind of paint this picture of what's going on here, this triumphal entry of Jesus. That's what the NIV calls it, the triumphal entry, right? Start, we'll start in um, verse uh, 28. It says, After Jesus had said this, he went up on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell him, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven heaven and glory in the highest. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that you would come speak to us the things that you want to speak and that you would do in us, God, the things that you want to do. Father, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So what we have is this celebration, right, this triumphal entry. But in the context of those who are sitting here, what we find are are those who had these unbelievable aspirations in their life, something that they want to achieve, they believe Jesus can help them do. And they had these unbelievable expectations of God, of Jesus 
doing something powerful and majestic and them being a part of it. You know the story at all? You know that all of their eggs were in the Jesus basket. They thought, hey, this Jesus guy is going to come onto the scene. And he's going to be the Messiah that we've been waiting for, right? And this, this meant for them this mighty warring king who was going to come and he was finally going to defeat the Roman Empire. And they, for the first time in hundreds of years, were going to have freedom. They were going to be able to overtake Jerusalem again. Jerusalem was going to belong to the Jewish nation, the chosen people of God. And they were going to be blessed in a powerful and mighty way. They were going to be incredibly um, gifted in what they were going to be doing because the Holy Spirit, God himself, was going to come and empower them. And they were going to be the chosen people of God again, living in freedom in this powerful scene. And all of us know that none of that happened for them. None of that happened. None of their aspirations, the things they were hoping to achieve, were actually realized in their life. None of the expectations that they had of ruling right beside Jesus over Jerusalem and being powerful and mighty over all the other nations, none of that actually happened. In fact, a few days later, Jesus actually died. And that was pretty cool. He got raised from the dead, but then he left again, right? And they were still still under Roman rule. They still, you know, actually, Jesus even told us later on in chapter 42 through like 44 that actually looked over Jerusalem. I'm actually sorry. This actual temple is going to be 100% completely destroyed. Everything you dream about is not going to happen. And so what we have then is these, all of these expectations of people are 100% unmet in the physical. And all of their aspirations, these things they hope to achieve, are not achieved at all. And so what we find here is this. We find unmet expectations and unrealized aspirations. This was the context of Scripture that we can celebrate today because we know what happened in the Spirit, but for them, they have no idea what's going on. They're completely clueless. And so when Jesus dies, they are undone with unmet expectations and unrealized aspirations in life. So we spent two weeks in India, the first week, and we can show some of these pictures, Eddie, if you'll pull them up. Um, we spent the first week in India at Karube Home with our good friend Tammy Hutchin, who is a missionary we support, doing these Olympic Games. Right here is we're actually throwing, having a water balloon fight. You see Graham in the background as part of Vintage. And we did about 40 different games. You can go to the next slide. We did about 40 different games. This is Sai hanging out, doing some stuff. And uh, we had these four different teams, and we did all these Olympic games. These are all these children who used to be orphans. Don't you love that? They used to be orphans. They're not orphans any longer, right? They're, they're living at home with all these brothers and sisters. They have a mom and, and all these other house parents who are there. They have Jesus as their father, and they're doing really well. Here we keep on going. This is my team. You see me in the background here. This is the green team. We're stomping balloons right now. It actually came down to all those two little kids. It was great. This is the game of water. Those are their favorite games, and... It's been a great time of just doing stuff. This is John. He's on my team. And 
this is Arjun right there, blindfolded. We're playing this fun game, and Misty's in the background. So, um, yeah, that's enough. So these are this is some great. These are great kids right here. That's uh, Pooja right here, who's blindfolded. Sashi Kala, who's in the blue. This is Jamie Mod. Looks like Jemima. Actually, it's pretty cool. But anyway, she. Uh, these are some of these great kids. So you can go ahead and turn it off. So anyway, these are some of these beautiful kids, and we're spending the, these two weeks just hanging out with them, and it's beautiful, beautiful time, and we had a great time. Saturday, we had a great day of hanging out with the boys. We had like this, this guy's hangout, literally all day. We left the home at like 7, we got home at 6, and we did guy stuff. We like rode BMX bikes uh, over this BMX course. We like swam in the pool and made complete fools of ourselves, right? We played volleyball, we played football slash soccer, right? We played, vo- we played all this fun stuff, and we had these teaching times where we just called these boys to greatness and said, listen, you were called to be the light of the world and the, the salt of the earth. This is great, great time. And then on Sunday, I was just telling somebody, I got to, we got to pray to go to church on Sunday. I preached. I fell asleep on stage because I was so tired. I was in prayer like this. The next thing I know, I'm literally dreaming, which was not good, right? And so, but I woke up and was able to preach. It was okay. And so, so then on Monday, that was good. And on Sunday night, we had a great time. I'll share about in a few minutes. But Monday and Tuesday was our time to go to the home of hope. The home of hope. The home of hope was birthed by this guy who was an auto rickshaw driver. You ever heard of an auto rickshaw? Basically, it's a taxi, right? It's just a small little three-wheeled little scooter type thing, and they're really cool. Back in the day, there used to be those little things they'd pull, and the runners would pull them. That was a rickshaw. These are auto rickshaws. These are actually motorized, and so they're, all, they're, they're yellow, and they're fun. They're all over Indy. You can't get away from them, right? And so this auto rickshaw driver, who was a Christian, was driving by one day and saw this guy dying on the side of the street, right? He had defecated all over himself, completely passed out, uh, no one was helping him. He had, and so he drove past him and felt really convicted about it. And so he drove, so he dropped this person off and came back by and just felt very impressed with the Lord to pick him up. So he picked this guy up who was literally just days away from dying and brought him to his home, right? Brought him to his home with his wife and his kids, which is a great place to bring a dying man, right? So brought him to the home and tried to nurse him back to health. Well, this one man became this passion with this guy. So he uh, began driving around. Everywhere he'd go, he'd find these men who were in the process of dying on the side of the streets, and he'd just bring them to his house. Well, a couple of years later, what's turned into one, two, three men now has turned to 50 men in a men's home, about 40 women in a women's home, and about 20 or 30 children in a children's home. And so on the Monday and Tuesday, we got to go and hang out with these people. And so on Monday, it was our turn to hang out with the men's home. So we drove into this compound that was outside of the city, and we drove in, we pulled up, and, and, and we looked over here, and there was just this concrete pad, about 20 by 40 feet, right? And on this concrete pad were all these chairs, and it was all these men. And all these men were either, if they, if they were capable, they were sitting on chairs or benches. If they were not capable and able, they were just sitting on the ground, Okay. And it was time to eat. So they were bringing all this, these trays with food, and those who were actually capable of eating were slowly taking the food and putting it in their mouth because most of these men were, just a, were probably a few weeks away from dying, right? Just a few weeks away from dying. It was, he was bringing them there basically just to, to try to help if he could, but if not, to give them a dignified death, basically, in this home. And, to, and so here they are. They're sitting there, and, and I draw up. I, we drive up, and I get out, and I look, and I need to be honest with you. My, my, my first thought was I was repulsed because from about 30 feet away, I could smell death. 
not being try, not, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm just stating what it was like. I walked up and I could smell it. I'm like, oh no. And so we so we walked over while they're eating, and I recognize. I mean, there are open wounds on on these men. Some of them have leprosy and are missing digits, fingers and toes and noses and this kind of stuff. Uh, we had some, some, you know, they were um, just very dirty, very dirty, and. And we were there to be with them. So I walked by and I hear this guy grunt. And I look down. There's a man on the ground. And he can't stand up. And he's propping himself with one hand and putting his other hand up with the, putting his other hand up. And he wants me to hold his hand. And so I grabbed it. And it's the last thing I wanted to do, right? It was just covered with sores and scabs and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it was, he had been eating, so it had all this food germs mixed with dirt all in it. And I'm sitting there holding it going and trying not to do this. Right, you know what I'm saying. I'm just being honest, right? I I would like to tell you that I was a holy pastor, like, oh brother, just walk in the name of Jesus, right? But I wasn't. I was right, overwhelmed, right? I was like, Jesus, how did you do it, right? I'm sitting here holding his hand, and and the uh, the only thing I'm thinking is, I hope he lets go soon. I hope he lets go soon. I feel like an idiot. I can't believe I can't hold this man's hand. I'm a terrible Christian, right? I'm having all these thoughts just running through my mind all at the same time. And so then all of a sudden, the 16-year-old boy named Arjun, Arjun was on, the, was on my team. Just so you know, my team won. That's important for you to know. Amen, we're done. I'm just kidding. So anyway, so I'm sitting there holding this man's hand, and all of a sudden, Arjun comes over. Arjun's 16, year old, 16 years old. He's never been to the home either. He'd never been to Mother Teresa's home for the dying like I had been years ago. He had never experienced anything like this, right? And so he walks up. And he leans down, and the, the man lets go of my hand, and Arjun picks him up. And all of a sudden, Arjun was better at reading whatever he was reading, discerned from the Holy Spirit, I guess, because he needed to go to the bathroom. And so he picks him up, and he takes him over and helps him go to the bathroom. And I'm sitting there going, now I feel like a real idiot, Right? And so the morning, this morning was a morning of, of sitting there, and our job was to, to, um, to give them a shave. You see, it's 97 degrees, almost like 24-7 in India, right? I mean, you just sweat all day long. And so here are these men, and they just have these massive beards. Guess why? Because they can't shave. And so we get to come in, and they are clamoring for us. I mean, they literally... They see that we, we come in, man, we're like Brother Le, you know, Gillette, right? We have our Gillette razors, and they are excited about us. And so they're clamoring. Those who can clamor are like, no, 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 pushing out of the way and trying to get over to us. And they want to sit down, and they're like, oh, oh, and they're showing us. They want everything shaved, right? And so I'm over there, and you know, most of them have lice, and I'm over there with my hands, and I'm like, this is what I do. Like, I'm, I'm sitting there like this, and, and they're sitting over here, and I take it, and I like do this. I like basically wrap my legs around them, right? And they smell to high heaven. I mean, this is brutal. And I'm sitting there, I mean, I'm just like, I mean, I'm like, you know, it's just overwhelming. And all they want me to do is to give them a shave. And as I sit there and I watch these men, my thought is, there are none sitting here who had aspirations to be here. There are none sitting here who actually, when they were seven, eight, nine, ten years old, says, my expectation someday is to be three weeks from death 
in a home where I have, I have no pride and can't even give myself a shave and I'm smelled a high heaven because I can't even clean myself. There are none of them. All of them have these, these unrealized aspirations in life and unmet expectations in their life. They're sitting there in the moment and I'm thinking to myself as I'm staring at them, are they offended with their God? Are they offended by their God? Because of unmet expectations and unrealized aspirations. You see, when I read Luke and I read about these people, his disciples, who are super excited. I mean, they're w- waving the palm branches and, and they're having this moment of laying their jackets down, their cloaks, as they watch Jesus fulfill this Old Testament prophecy of riding on the colt into Jerusalem. That's what the Messiah does. And all of them are sitting there with these high expectations and aspirations, and then all of a sudden Jesus dies and then he leaves. And I'm thinking to myself, are they, are they wrestling with offense towards Jesus for these unrealized aspirations and unmet expectations? And I think they were because you see it in the disciples on the road to Emmaus. It says that they're sitting there walking with their faces downcast because they have lost all hope, and they say to Jesus, without knowing it's Jesus, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to save Israel. We had hoped, past tense, meaning they no longer had hopes and aspirations that Jesus was actually the Messiah. We had hope, but he died. And now we don't know what to do, And when they're sitting there in the moment, I'm guessing because they're human, that there was some level of offense in their heart towards Jesus. Why? You did these amazing things and then you died. We had hoped. We put all of our eggs into your basket, Jesus. We knew because we saw these miraculous things. What says they were they were celebrating in Luke chapter 19. They were celebrating all these miracles and all these things they had seen Jesus do. They knew, oh, he has to be the Messiah. He has to be the one. And then he died. And I'm guessing in the moment that there was some level of offense that Jesus had let them down. You see, when I think about our own personal lives and as human beings, I think a ton of us carry offense towards Jesus, but we're probably afraid to name it. That if we're honest about our lives, about who we are, we, we tell we, we think about all these times where we had believed God, we had trusted God, we were moving with God. All of these things were happening and things were going great over here and our church was great over here. Then all of a sudden, all hell broke loose and something happened. We were, and we're thinking, why? 
Why is this happening? And if we're honest with ourselves, but we're not usually because we're better at being Pharisees and compartmentalizing our lives with Jesus, we probably say, well, we're afraid to be angry with God, so we'll take it and put it over here on a shelf and just pretend like it never happened and never quite be that radical for Jesus ever again. And so we find ourselves living our life, and when things get difficult and when things get hard, we look at the shelf and we remember our offense that we're even afraid to name or even bring out into the light, and we just say, oh, and we kind of pull back, and we're never that way again. That's why most of us, when we tell our stories about Jesus and crazy things, it was a long time ago. Because we're living with some offense that God, in our own timeline, in our own understanding, we had unmet expectations and unrealized aspirations about something that we thought Jesus wanted to do or that we would get to do for him. And so we live in this offense, maybe afraid to name it, maybe not even thinking about it, but we're sitting there and it portrays itself with this great distrust for Jesus or for things that he may be calling us to do, relying on self. And even when we talk about getting in the context of community, we hide ourselves from other people because we just have this tension in our own heart, in our own mind. So as I sat there at the home of hope, Saddled up, man. I'm saddled up to the stinky guy. I mean, honestly. And I'm looking at him and I'm overwhelmed. And I'm looking at all this stuff and, you know, you had the other guys, they were cutting toenails. Listen, they went to cut toenails and thought their toenails were really short and they realized, no, no, actually, they're super long, but there's so much caked up dirt underneath their toenails that we had to spend time scraping all of it out in the first place because they haven't had a good bath in who knows how long. I got the better job. I got to shave people who had lice. That's easy. So I sit there with my hands and I lather up with the stuff and I begin to brush their beard. I mean, it's thick. We don't have a razor. We don't have one of those electric razors. I forgot I left it at home, right? I'm sitting, I'm sitting there like this, this like Santa Claus beard, right? Going, right? And the whole time just undone. And I'm praying, where are you, Jesus? Where are you? It's a great pastoral prayer, isn't it? I see a friend, Jesus healed. And I'm like, where are you, Jesus? And all of a sudden, I just heard as clear as day. I mean, I'm just, it's like the Lord just began to speak and I heard it. It says, from Matthew 25, it says, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Whatever you did, Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. As you do this for them, it's as if you were doing it for me. And I just begin to just pray. I just begin to pray this. I'm looking this guy in the eyes, and I begin to recognize that in this place of of, of unmet expectations and of unrealized aspirations of all these things that God 
could do and wanted to do, all this kind of stuff, that in this moment I'm sitting there in my brokenness with this, with this man sitting in front of me who, who's lost all pride and having to get some white American to come and pull his Gillette out and shave him. I'm sitting there and I'm hearing God say, as you're doing for him, as if you're doing it for me, and I realize in the moment that Jesus was present. That when I got there, he had already been there. That in the midst of the brokenness and the poverty of this man's life, Jesus is already present. For as I'm doing it unto this man, it's actually Jesus whose beard I am shaving. And I'm undone the moment I realize Jesus is already present. In the moment of this man's unmet expectations and unrealized aspirations, he's completely clueless. But the God of all creation is already present with him in the moment. And as I'm shaving him, I'm shaving the face of Jesus. If you read the whole thing here in in Matthew chapter 25, it's just this beautiful, beautiful picture of the heart of Jesus for the poor. Listen, when you spend listen, when you spend time with the poor, it changes the way that you read your Bible. Because when you interact with the real poor who have no means and necessities of, of life, no ability to actually move forward. It reads the, it changes the way that you read about poverty and God's heart for the poor in Scripture. This is one of the radical things we talked about in our team. You've experienced the real poor. So go back now and read chapter 4 of Luke when Jesus is fulfilling Isaiah 61. And he's talking about the poor and recognize he's talking about these men whose faces we just shaved, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm reading this to the heart of Jesus. He talks about the sheep and the goats. And, and he comes and he says this. He says in uh, verse 35 of chapter 25. He says, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger in need of a shave, and you invited me in with your Gillette, and you shaved me. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And, and he says, they said, when do we do that? He says, when you did it unto the least of these, my brothers, then you've done it to me. And I'm sitting there, and I'm realizing Jesus is here. Jesus is here. And we see the same picture. We see the same picture even. And the walk to Emmaus. Remember the story. They're walking, clueless, unmet expectations, unrealized aspirations. They're broken, they're lost, and they're offended. And Jesus comes up and walks with them. He's with them. He's with them in their brokenness. God, close to the broken. God close to those who've been offended. So on Sunday nights at Karube Home, Sunday nights is the night of prayer and fasting. So they take, you know, they don't let Autumn, who's like two and a half, fast and pray, but the rest of them, like the six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen year old kids, all the way up to like eighteen. 19, they have a choice. If they would like to fast that, that meal tonight, they can come and they can fast and then come to fasting and prayer. Meet at 7 o'clock and we're going to fast. We're going to pray, worship and pray for about an hour and a half with these 40, 45 kids taking Automay out, right? 
We're going to fast and we're going to pray. And they don't just come and like and and just sing Father Abraham and do the little fun games. No, they come and they just worship with all their might. And they come. They don't just pray for one another. No, they they pray for revival in India for the entire country. They pray for their for their friends in northern and then about seven hours north in Arista who've been persecuted. They pray for the persecuted church across the world, right? They're praying these deep things, crying out to God with all of their might. And then they, they take these, these index cards that have all the countries that represent the 1040 window. The 1040 window. The 1040 window represents, like in the latitude, longitude, these, these countries, the, the most unreached people groups in all the world. Basically stretches from like northern Africa and Libya and, and Burkina Faso and all the way across to Turkey and Afghanistan, Iraq and Iran, all the way down to India, all the way across to China, all the way over here to Japan, right? All of these countries. And they have on the next cards, and they pass these cards out. And they just, I mean, we're talking like they're crying and they're weeping and they're just praying, God, would you move in these countries that have less than 1% of Christianity? Most of them have never heard the name Jesus before. We're crying out, God, would you move? Would you move? Would you move? And I'm undone watching these kids just choosing to fast and choosing to pray and doing these amazing things, right? We just pray for like an hour and a half. And at that time, Tammy... <clears throat> invites any of the children up who feel like God has spoken to them something they need to share with the group. So little Manju walks up. Manju is, she had said, she just turned 13. I mean, guys, she is beautiful. Her sister, Malika, we sponsor her there. And they're just both, they're just awesome children, right? I just love them to death. I mean, all week long, I was picking on them. They're picking on me. You know, they're shoving me to the ground. I'm wrestling. I mean, it's just a great, fun time, right? We're just having a great time. Little Manju, 13-year-old, gets up, and she says, I need to share something. Manju's the one that when Tammy, who just hears from the Lord every, all the time, and, and she said, well, Tammy, how do you know it's the Lord speaking? Oh, it's very simple. He says my name first, and then he speaks. So it's pretty obvious it's him. So Manju gets up, and she says this. She said, I was, we were in worship, and I was praying at the 1040 window, and I just, I just asked the Lord, why haven't you done more in the 1040 window? We've been praying. I've been praying since I was three years old for over ten years for the 1040 window. And God, I'm, I just, why aren't you doing something? Basically what she was doing, she was naming her, she was naming the possibility of offense. God, I've been praying for ten years and God, I'm not seeing anything. I'm not seeing any fruit. God, what are you doing? And, and God just said, Manjou, said her name and, and said, gave her Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It's a very familiar verse, and she read it out loud to us. As she just began to weep, she said, He who began a good work in you will carry it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it unto completion to the day of Christ Jesus. And she just said, she's just weeping. She says, the Lord just spoke and said, he is in control. His timing was what it's all about. And it's simply my responsibility to continue to pray and to intercede for these countries and for these people in the 1040 window. And that's what we need to do. And she was, and it was it. 
She was not offended. She had released her offense because God had spoken in the moment and basically in so many words said, listen, it's my timing and I'm moving, but it's your job to continue to pray. And her offense was released and she was released back to her seat where we began to pray. What I learned in my time here and just a few things that I want to share with you was this. Number one, God is faithful. God is faithful. You see, for, for these friends, the home of hope, and our friends here who are in the context of, of Luke chapter 19, who have unmet expectations and unrealized aspirations, in the moment what they feel like is in this relationship with Jesus, they feel like He's let them down. He feel like it's in a sense as if Jesus has been unfaithful. And so what happens is there's this great tension in their own hearts and they don't know what to do. But the reality is simply this. God is faithful all the time. And in the moment I'm sitting there and I'm like, God, where are you? He says, I'm already here. They don't know it and you don't know it. And the disciples themselves in Luke 19 who are experiencing unrealized aspirations and unmet expectations, Jesus is literally walking with them. And they don't even know it. And the word to us this morning is this. If you have been broken, and if you have a shelved uh, just offense up here about what Jesus has not done in your life, and in that moment you've pulled away in your own faithfulness towards God, I'm telling you, He has been 100% faithful. He has been moving in your life. He is moving today. And what needs to happen is simply an awakening of His already presence in your life. If you don't know it, it's true because he's faithful and he can't be anything else but faithful. A relationship is a double-sided thing of him moving and of you moving, and he is always faithful even when you don't realize it. The second thing that we see is this, and I learned, is that we must learn to pray. We must learn to pray. Manju's been praying Every, every, at least every week for the 1040 window for over 10 years. And the idea is simply this. We must learn to pray with such, with fervency and diligence and never give up even if we never see the answer to our prayers. Are you willing to pray that way? All the prophets For hundreds of years, every day Daniel prayed, Would you come and bring the Messiah? Would you come and prepare the way? Would you come and do this work? And then he died never seeing it. But he prayed every day with fervency and with diligence. And I'm telling you, when you sit there and you listen to Tammy tell stories, and if you were here back in January when she just told story after story after story of not trusting in men, but relying on Jesus and praying with perseverance and with persistence and never giving up and then telling amazing stories of how God wrote an email to somebody. Remember that story? Remember the story that God, this guy woke up one morning, read an email from Tammy about this need that had a lot of money attached to it. He turned away from his computer to get his coffee. He turned back around and the email was gone. And he spent two weeks asking every single friend of Tammy, did you get that email? I didn't get an email. It was about this. I never got it. He emails her 
And she says, I never emailed you. It must have been Jesus. And then he goes, he dips into his, his, his retirement account and says, God sent me this email. It never happens to me, but here's all the money. It was the exact to the penny amount that they had been praying and believing God for and praying into. Persistent in prayer, coming and giving themselves in such a way that maybe they see the answer and maybe they never do, but we have to become a people who pray with perseverance and persistence and never give up. And the third thing that we find is simply this. We have to be intimate with Jesus. We have to be intimate with him. See, what happened with Manju is she's sitting there and she's undone. She's wrestling with offense. How many of you ever wrestled with that? You have these questions going on in your mind and, 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 and you're afraid God won't speak to you about them, so you just don't ask them. It's just better to shelve them over here and not go after it. So you just don't want to offend God, right? You don't, you're a, you, don't, you don't trust him anymore because he's already offended you before. And so here's little Manju, thir- just turned 13 years old, who whenever God speaks, he always says her name first. And she just goes, God, I'm moving towards offense. I've been praying. I've been doing my part. Why, God, are you not doing yours? And God just speaks and says, you don't know my timing. You don't know what I'm doing. Let me do what I'm supposed to do, but you pray and you break down walls. She knew him. She was confident in going to him. She was confident in hearing his voice because she was in relationship with him. And I want to tell you, Jesus is walking with us in our offense. And when the walk to Emmaus, they finally get to the home, Jesus breaks bread and their eyes are open and they go, oh my gosh, he's been with us the entire journey. We didn't even know it. I'm sitting there with my friends at the home of hope and I'm undone as I look at them and Jesus is saying, I'm already here. As you've done it for the least of them, you are doing it for me. This is Palm Sunday. This is the triumphal entry of Jesus with all the unmet expectations and all of the unrealized, all these unrealized aspirations of offense towards God. But Jesus is already with them and he is faithful and he's already moving. These are the things that God was speaking to me while I was in India. These are the things that I feel like this morning for many of us, we've shelved this offense and God simply wants you to take it down and name it. And in your relationship with him, come and have a very honest and transparent conversation. And then to awaken in you his faithfulness. That even though you did not see him moving in the moment of brokenness, he was. And he has been, and he still is. And so there can be a breakthrough in your life so that Easter can really come this year for you. It doesn't just become about some dress that you wear and some ugly pastel shirt that you get to wear. Let's pray.